Hey, pioneers! Welcome to episode number 361. In today's episode, we are going to be continuing the conversation on homesteading skill sets to have. This is kind of a part three, but it's more like an, an adage with today's interview. But I think you are really going to enjoy it. Today's interview is with Mallory from Black Rifle Homestead. And Mallory is a military wife and her husband is active duty in the army. And so this has been really interesting because you have someone who is homesteading but is having to move often as, you know, is to be expected if someone is in active military, but how they are able to homestead to what degree, especially with those moves, but also what they've been able to witness by living in a lot of different places, including overseas as homesteaders, and then tips and things that they have gleaned with that military background while also homesteading that you and I can take away and use and apply to our homesteads. So this month is actually September is a national preparedness month. So it's very fitting that we are talking about these things. And today's podcast episode is sponsored by Azure Standard. Now you'll you'll hear in today's episode in the interview where we are talking about different things such as food storage, uh, you know, getting things in bulk and building up your pantry, et cetera, and different things like that. And Azure Standard is one of the major places that I use to build and maintain our food storage. So they have a very special program right now. This promotion expires October 30th of 2022, so in about a month and a half from the date of this release. And it's available for first-time Azure customer orders with a minimum of $50 order or more to their drop location. And it's a one-time use per customer, but we have a coupon code that will get you 10% off. And that is MKN10. So just my initials from Melissa K. Norris, MKN and the number 1010, MKN10. And as I said, Azure Standard has been a company I have been shopping from now and using fell in love with them, I think going on about three years ago now. But they have a lot of items that you can get in bulk. You can also get smaller. So they've got lots of different options, but even up to like 50 pounds, sometimes bigger, but even down as small as just a couple of pounds, depending on what the item is. They have dry goods. They do have some fresh produce, canned goods, just all kinds of things. But what's wonderful is they do have some of their own farms, so you'll see product directly that's an Azure standard brand, but they also partner with other farms across the U.S. that are small farms that have really strict standards, which most homesteaders are, or people who are health food conscious adhere to. So you're not going to find high fructose corn syrup and a lot of you know food dye. So all of the products, I feel like it's the one place I can go and no matter what brand I'm picking. I can be assured that it is a high quality brand and doesn't have the stuff in it that I don't want for myself or my family. So anyways, go and check them out if you're not a customer or not familiar with them already and make sure that you use that coupon code and use that to get your pantry stocked up. But on to today's episode. Well, Mallory, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. 
Thanks, Melissa. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I am too. In fact, when you first reached out, uh, I thought this was an excellent topic. And when you reached out, we actually got you scheduled. I did not even know that I was going to be doing the homesteading skills series. Right now, I we just released part two. But I feel like what we're going to be talking about today fits so well within that series of topics where we're kind of building up on skill sets. Like here's your, you know, your very, here's where you start. If you're brand new to homesteading, here's the skill sets you start to gather and then kind of building that progression where you build up on them. But I feel like so much of, of what you guys are doing and have learned over the years really falls into that well. So, you know, it's like one of those things like, oh, the good Lord knew we were going to be talking and had had the series plan for me. But just for those who don't know you, um, if you could give a, you know, a little bit of background about you guys. And I I don't want to say unique take to homesteading because I know there's actually a lot of people in your situation as well, but kind of your guys's background and story. Yeah, sure. So like you said, my name's Mallory and online I'm known as Black Rifle Homestead. We recently rebranded to that as we were kind of transitioning into like, yeah, we want to share more about homesteading and like what we're doing as a military family to do that. So I guess I'll explain the name a little bit because some people were a little confused when I changed the name. So Black Rifle is basically a moniker for things that are military related because soldiers carry a black rifle in combat so like anything that has black rifle associated with it means like military and then I thought it was kind of some people might think it's like an oxymoron I guess to combine that with homestead because I think when people typically think of homestead they think like oh you're setting down roots and you're staying there for ever and you have animals and a ton of land but in the military you can't really do that (laughs) we move Every two to three years is on average, sometimes it's less. Um, like we're in Kansas right now, I guess just for context. We've been here about a year. And before that, we lived in California for 18 months. And before that, we lived in Germany for two years. And so you kind of get the picture. We're all over the place. Um, and so some people might think, well, it's not really possible to homestead when you're moving all the time. But I would really like to challenge that idea because. The way I approach homesteading is primarily through like changing your mindset and like looking at it as a lifestyle and not necessarily what your circumstances are. So that's that's kind of like the background of what we're doing. And so, yeah, my husband is in the military. He's been in the army for 13 years, I think. So he's uh, going for that, going for retirement for 20 years. So we're in it for the long haul. You're in it for so much. Well, first off, <laughs> Thank you for your service, both to your husband and to you and your family, because it's oh, not just you. I know it's not just the person who's in there. It, it's it's a whole family effort there and affects mm-hmm. all of you. But I actually think that it's I think it's actually gives you an advantage homesteading skill wise in some aspects because you are moving, because you are really seeing what can work universally across the board in almost any setting because you are moving so often and that makes it so applicable to anybody who's listening. Uh, and it also has really helped you to develop skill sets, I feel, really fast in certain aspects mm-hmm. because you have to learn them quick. You are only in one area for so long. And as soon as you get to the new area, if you want to pick back up, 
where you left off, you have to get in, you know, you have to jump into that kind of as soon as possible. I'm assuming, cause I've never right. been in that situation. So I think it, it actually it has its advantages in some aspects. Yeah. That's a really great point. Just thinking about our situation here didn't do much. I had like a very small garden in California. Um, we were in Monterey. So like the weather was the same all year round, which is very different to me. Um, but then when we moved to Kansas, you know, we have seasons here and we moved here in at the beginning of summer. And I was also very pregnant. <laughs> I was like 34 weeks with our second. And so, you know, getting a garden started <laughs> at that time was a little difficult. Thankfully, my dad, he's an expert gardener down in Texas and he helped us get our garden bed set up. We have 16, like uh, there are three by six foot garden beds. And so definitely the biggest garden we've ever had. And so last year, last summer, it was like, you know, just kind of like maybe we had like half of them filled with stuff. And then this year I was like, okay, I'm really going to take on all of it, get all 16 bids filled with, with crops. And it definitely, like I said, it was like, I'm having to learn things so quickly <laughs> and learn specifically what works here. Um, you know, so I've been like taking notes on like, okay, this works here. I'm not going to do this next year because we have one more year here. Um, so like this year was like a test year. And then next year I'll be able to implement more, you know, what I've learned this year. <laughs> yeah. So walk me through a little bit. And because I think that this is really good for people who may be considering moving. I know a lot of people, especially more so, I would say, than probably any other recent time in history, the past couple of years, and even now are still moving to completely different locations in a lot of instances, like moving out of state from where they've been or, or whatnot. At least I know quite a few people, myself, both who have moved into my area, have moved away from our area, et cetera. So as a homesteader state of mind, or even people who are like, I'm just coming into homesteading, but I've never where I live now, like it's not been something I've been doing. Mm -hmm. So what are the things that you first assess when you are, you know, coming to the new place? And maybe it's things that you're looking at before you guys, like once you get, this is where you're going, you know, you're not even there yet. Um, What are, what is like that very first layer look like? Yeah. um, Well, I guess as, as far as gardening goes, um, you know, I made sure to look at our zone. I think <laughs> I forgot to break my little, I have your um, gardening journal and I meant to bring it in with me and I didn't, but we're um, zone 6A, I believe. Um, and so, you know, looking at the zone, um, I went online to see, you know, what kind of gardening resources there might be for this specific area. Um, and we live near a university, K-State. And so they have um, like an agricultural, agricultural program. And so they had some really good information on there about gardening and what works here. But I guess like I like doing research like that, but then I'm like, I just want to jump into it. You know, I just want to jump in both feet and just see what works. My dad also is a great resource. He's been gardening like his whole life. So I'm always going to him for help. (laughs) So, you know, just so if you don't have somebody in your family like that, maybe Mm -hmm. somebody like a neighbor or a friend or something that you could go to with to give you personal advice on what you're doing (laughs) because yeah yeah, it definitely is a lot of learning so yeah just kind of familiar familiarizing yourself with climate weather patterns and stuff like that yeah now I know you guys are also an advocate of buying whole organic sustainably raised food Mm -hmm. especially because like you said you're not in a position where you can raise 
livestock. So when you're you're looking for those types of food items that you're not able to provide for yourself, especially if you're moving to a new area or maybe you've just always for those who may be listening, you're like, oh, well, I've, you know, I've kind of just always bought that just from our local grocery store. But I, too, now want to support that and move in that direction. How do you start to to source those items when you're new to an area? Yeah, yeah, that's that's so important. That's definitely one of my key areas that I focus on as a military or suburban homesteader, want to call it that. So yeah, we did our first cow share this past year, last last December. And we actually had, we're so fortunate. There's actually a family farm like two minutes down the road from us where where our, our neighborhood is. And they do cow shares. And then also we have an excellent farmer's market. So that's a great place to start, you know, for somebody, you know, if you're new in the area to look up online, just do a quick internet search or, you know, look for Facebook groups on uh, if you have a local farmer's market. And I've found some really good people there too. And so, but we decided to go with the people down just down the road for our cow share. So we got a quarter of a cow for our family of four. And it's lasted us. We're still eating off of it now. So September of the following year. And so that's, you know, a great way to kind of lock in that price of your food, especially yeah. with inflation. And then also support somebody local and then have that food available to you, like with, um, you know, the instability that's gone on to have food in your freezer, like stocked. You don't have to worry as much about, okay, <laughs> am I going to go to the store today and things are going to be out of stock? Yeah, I'm with you. And, and I, I love that when you are buying from someone that local, like you actually, because they are so close to you, you mm-hmm. can lay eyes on their farm. Like you can actually see the animals and it's so, it, it is so close that there's not the larger footprint mm-hmm. of that beef, even as it's being, you know, butchered sent to the butcher and you picking it up like it's staying really small and so that also helps to keep costs down especially like you're saying you know with the increase of fuel prices unfortunately just all those different things the closer that we can find to home i think is so important and i realize you know like you've got somebody who's raising you know a couple just a few minutes down the road from you and i know that not everybody is in is in that position but i do think that you're will be able to find stuff, even if it's maybe an hour from you, you know, that's Mm -hmm. still much, much closer than, than meat that's being, you know, processed in China and then shipped back like (laughs) chicken and whatnot, just, just ridiculous stuff that goes on with our larger agriculture system or meat system, you know, all of that. So I think that's really great. You know, some of the things too, uh, I have seen where we of course raise our own beef, but our local co-op, if you can find a a Mm co-op, Oftentimes they will have meat from smaller local farms and you sometimes those farms will sell meat to like the co-op and to different mm-hmm. stores like that. But you can go directly to the farm website itself and sometimes buy directly from them as well. Or like you're saying, doing the calf cow share where you're getting a whole half or a quarter of a beef and you can get really good savings that way. So sometimes if you yeah. see in even a regular grocery store, like they have a section that says, you know, like local raised meat or whatever, see what that farm name is and then go and look them up and see if there's an option for you to buy directly from them. Because I know locally we have a couple different farms who actually do that. They have a small amount in the regular local grocery store, but then you can also just go and buy directly from them. So yeah, just that's some, a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just some, some little yeah. additional tips that I've seen locally. Yeah. Um, so with the 
military lifestyle, because you say, you know, there's the there's the nomadic aspect to that. So how do you handle your how much do you stockpile uh, or build up your pantry? Because, you know, you're going to likely have to be moving this whole said pantry in a couple of years and taking glass jars filled with food. There's breakable potential. So how how do you kind of do you have a system that you used to balance that? Or you're just like, well, we'll just deal with moving it or do how do you how do you work with that? Yeah, that's that's such a great question. And I actually had a really good conversation with somebody who's also in the military or she's a military wife and into homesteading. Uh, she left a comment on my YouTube channel and we were discussing this point and I'm like, yeah, you're bringing up some really good points. So yeah, with the glass jars and like having a stocked pantry, that definitely is something to consider. So typically <laughs> every it, it can change so, so wildly, you know, the military will tell you something's going to happen and then it doesn't happen. And then it changes last minute or whatever. <laughs> so, but at this, like for us in right now, we know that we will be moving in 2024. So like spring, summer ish. So if you kind of have a timetable like that, even if it's just like a general timetable, then if you don't want to go through the trouble of trying to move a bunch of shelf stable food, then you can strategize like, okay, I know we're going to use X amount, you know, over the next X months and make sure you use up most of it so that, you know, there's not a lot of food waste. You don't have to like give away a lot, especially with, if you're doing your own canning, then you have those glass mason jars and the movers, like if you're having professional movers come, they definitely will not pack that <laughs> because okay. they know they know like okay this is a breakage risk we are not packing that um, if it's stuff like canned goods from the store or like dry goods like rice wheat and stuff like that they do pack that like spices you know all that kind of stuff like dry goods um, that is totally okay and even liquid items that are like from the store and they're not open so they're pre they're sealed they will pack those as well. But I, yeah, I would not, <laughs> I would not take the risk with the mason jars. One option is if you're doing, you know, like driving from one, from your old duty station to the new one, and you do have home canned goods, you could pack those in your own vehicle, you know, and drive. But, you know, that is also a little bit risky too. You know, you could still have breakage. So kind of strategizing your timeline, I think is the best thing. And also focusing on other ways of preser food preservation than just canning. So like dehydrating, um, I've started doing that. We have a little dehydrator and, you know, dehydrating herbs and veggies, fruit, whatever. Um, and so that's a lot more compact and lighter. What's the word? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> dehydrating, it's, it's a lot easier to, uh, to pack and move dehydrated yeah. food because yes. you're, you're right. You can put it in the bags if you need to, mm -hmm. to seal it up. It, it's a lot more portable friendly. Yes. 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 Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. More okay. space. It saves more space. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So maybe focusing more on that and then also what, you know, watching your freezer too, you know, like if you have a cow share or whatnot, then making sure that, okay, can we eat this up before we move? And then making sure like if a move is coming up, not getting another cow share, you know, and mm -hmm. then you have all this meat, like, unless you're moving a couple hours away you could keep it frozen in your car, you know, then you kind of have to strategize. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I'm curious about this because it's something that I have thought about, like, oh, goodness, if we did move at one point, we had looked at proper. We're beginning to look at property actually in Tennessee and we're in Washington mm-hmm. state. So that's a very long, big, big type <laughs> move. And when we were, I'm, you know, I, I started to think, of course, my mind went, well, like, gosh, if we really did buy that property and we really did move same thing like you would have to run down your stuff or leave some of it behind as far as food storage goes but then on the other hand that starts to bring me a little bit of stress because my my food storage is a, is very much a source of of peace for me mm-hmm. knowing you know knowing that's that peace of mind knowing that we've got this this set amount of food etc so and because you are in a military situation how how do you deal i guess with that kind of like emotional aspect are you concerned about food in our country that type of thing yeah i mean definitely over the last couple years i it's definitely become more of a concern um in the past like like i remember when we moved from germany to california that especially like overseas moves those are even more restrictive with you know what you can bring you know what you what they'll pack for you um so there is it it always pains me whenever we move because we do have to get rid of you know, give away some food, especially like refrigerated stuff and freezer stuff. Um, I do, you know, like our dry goods and, you know, rice and things like that. We can always pack, but, but yeah, that it is always like, oh, all this good food. We have to, you know, give it away. But I mean, at least if you're giving it away, you know, somebody's going to use it. Um, but I think now, you know, my mindset has shifted a little bit over the past couple of years with, with how everything has changed in our country. And so that, it definitely is a bigger concern for me now. So it'll be interesting for our next move because, you know, we will, we do have a bigger stockpile than we've had in the past. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that'll be, <laughs> yeah. that'll be interesting to see yeah. how that goes. I'm curious. So when you were living in Germany, just because of, I've, I've obviously never lived outside of the U.S. <laughs> so did you notice really any differences in the food? And I don't just mean like what they culturally cook. But like in the food available, their uh, their food supply, the way that they grow food, like their standards Mm -hmm. as a country with food, et cetera. Yeah, um, I definitely did. (laughs) I remember um, they had like Aldi is really big over there. And uh, I mean, that's where it originated from. And I remember going to the store and just getting it was just regular chicken. It wasn't even organic or anything. And I like chicken breast. So I brought it home and cooked it. And I'm like, this actually tastes like chicken. (laughs) Like it tastes like real, I don't know. It was just so flavorful. Um, But, you know, they're really big on fresh eating in season. You know, like I would be looking for kale and we had like a really beautiful farm, like farm market, like not a farmer's market, but like they were open every day. So it was like an actual farm and they had like a produce section and a dairy section. and, And I'm looking for kale and I'm like, why can't I find it? And they only have it like during the part of the year that it's actually grown, you know, so they eat very in season, which is really nice. A key difference that I noticed is that they don't have like bulk food stores over there. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we have Costco and Mm -hmm. and whatnot. They shop very frequently during the week. You know, they, they buy things fresh. So they might go grocery shopping, like every other day or something like that, you know, cause they're always like buying fresh stuff. So they don't really do like the, we see, on, I, I really like all watching on YouTube, like the grocery hauls, like a month's <laughs> worth of <laughs> groceries. They do not do that over there. 
Interesting. Do you think it's because yeah. more of what they are eating can't last that long because they are just eating it fresh or I, is it just a cultural that's just how they shop? Yeah, it might be both, I think. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of it, yeah, is very fresh and in season, but also like their houses are just, you know, different. We didn't mm-hmm. really have a pantry. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if kitchens are smaller, um, it was more like a larger cupboard, I guess, was like our pantry. Uh-huh. Um, so things are are smaller um, and our refrigerators are, are smaller. Um, freezers are smaller. They don't have like as much storage space as we would in an American sized appliances. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, they live and people it's very walkable over there. So, you know, you can walk to the market and all that. So it's yeah, it's just like a different way of living. Yeah. Did it seem that uh, more of their food, especially if you were at at the the farmer's stand you're talking about, does it seem like more of the food that's available to buy is raised locally in comparison to most, you know, most places in America or? Yeah. yeah, Okay. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And they yeah, they also had a a meat market there. We could I mean, they had all sorts of cuts of meat that were like fresh. And if you wanted ground beef, they would grind it like right there. Oh, wow. oh <laughs> man. So good. I miss, I miss that so much. It was so great. <laughs> that sounds right. That actually makes me want to, I would love to be at a point, which it sounds really funny when you have a farm and a dairy cow. I'm like, I would love to be able to travel someday to other countries to see their, their food up close and personal yeah. and, and how they work. But uh, yeah, that, that's something much further down the, <laughs> down the road with with the current lifestyle. But I do find that really interesting, especially because you, you know, you weren't just visiting there like on holiday. Yeah. You were actually living there and, and seeing those because mm-hmm. like I've heard uh, that a big part of Europe anyways, um, that their food is very different than ours in the way that it's grown. Like they don't uh, even if there's certain some brands that are in the U.S. and also are sold over there that the ingredients are different. Like they don't, yeah. the European brands, they don't, aren't allowed to use as like as much of the food dyes, the high fructose corn mm-hmm. syrup isn't allowed. No GMO items are allowed in that. And so it's, it, you think you're buying Cheerios as example, but over there, it's a very different cheer. It's a, I would consider it a healthier version. I think most people would, especially people yeah. who are listening to this podcast. <laughs> uh, so part of me is like, oh man, like that sounds so wonderful. I hope yeah. that, that we're able to, start to shift things even more so in our country with our food to more of that. But anyway, that's a whole nother podcast. So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) no, but you're so right. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it is very different and it it was, yeah, it was a good learning experience because I think over here, you know, in the U S we can find the same quality of food, but it just takes a lot more education, Mm -hmm. I think. And, you know, sourcing and, and like doing your due diligence basically. So over there, I think it's a little easier just to like, you know, go to the store and like there's seasonal in local stuff to buy. Whereas here, like you you have to do a little more footwork, but it definitely is. It's definitely possible. So, yeah, yeah. agreed. I'm curious price wise. Now I realize it, you know, probably was not in U.S. dollars because you were in Germany. But did you feel like for that quality of food? Because here it costs more Mm -hmm. and generally, generally speaking, it costs more to buy that higher level of, you know, sustainable, well-raised in my opinion, type food products or not food type of food products, but actual food products. Did you feel that the price was more for that there or it was cheaper or just kind of about the same? Yeah. As I mean, as like dollar, like dollar, dollar to Euro, I can't 
like really remember, you know, as far as like our budget went. Yeah. But but yeah, as far like just the quality that you would get for the price, uh-huh. I definitely think that it it was a better a better price because you wouldn't necessarily have to buy like all organic if you're trying to avoid a lot of pesticides or or whatnot because you know things are more more restricted over there. Um, yeah, that's just their general standard. Yeah. It's probably <laughs> closer to what we our organic standard is. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that yeah. That's fascinating. So we kind of got yeah. off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I was very, very curious and I'm, I'm assuming other people are too as well. Yeah. But so I know you're, as you said, your husband is working full time as an army officer and you mm-hmm. guys have got seven more years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Count on that countdown. Um, but you said that one of the things that kind of caught my attention is that he had written a really comprehensive blog post on being prepared for cyber attacks. Yeah. So we'll put the link in that to the show notes. And today's episode is number 361. So if you are listening in, you can always jump over to the blog post that we put with every episode at melissaknorris.com forward slash 361 because it's so number 361. Um, But I would love for you to kind of walk through as a military family, as far as you know, cyber attacks or your emergency preparedness levels. Mm Kind of walk me through with, of course, whatever you feel comfortable with. Kind of walk me through some of that and some steps that people might want to think about or implement if they haven't. Sure. Like specifically regarding the cyber attacks or just like generally. I would say like, let's start with the cyber attacks and then we can, we can go from there depending on how, how deep we go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So he, yeah, I highly recommend people read that post. It was um, I had people, you know, like asking me, like, you know, can he talk about this? Because, you know, he really he knows so much about like that realm and, and survival and preparedness and all that just from his military training. So the first thing with regards to that would be preparing your home. So like, you know, we think about physical security, like you have a alarm system in place and cameras and whatnot. But it's also important to have that kind of security posture for your online life. So, you know, like the strong passwords that we always hear people talk about, have your antivirus software updated regularly on your computers. And then don't like, don't rely so much on what he calls the internet of things devices, like Bluetooth stuff, Alexa devices, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, cause they just, I don't know. Alexa probably just knows so much about all of us. <laughs> so yeah, that and our smartphones. Oh boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're getting a little too smart these days. So, yes. you know, just um, kind of reining that all in. Um, and then the next part, uh, the next step would be to um, stockpile, stockpile like one month of food, one month of food at least. Um, just, I mean, it seems kind of like not related to cyber, but it's, you know, we're looking at our overall security here. So having that food, that one month supply of food and water and medications for each member of the family, um, if you can do more, like three to six months of stock food is ideal. But, you know, we all have to start somewhere. And my favorite way of stockpiling is just to do it very gradually. So every time you go to the grocery store, pick up a few extra things, like a few extra canned goods, you know, that's just a few dollars. So you don't have to spend a ton of money at one time. You know, mm-hmm. if you can, that's great. <laughs> but if you can't, you know, to, to you just do it slowly over time and eventually you will have 
you know, several months of food. And then also seeds, you know, if you're growing a garden to also have seeds on hand, because we know like sometimes we can't get the seeds that we want. Seed catalogs don't, you know, they're running out or they're out of stock of certain, certain seeds. So to have your seeds on hand or seed saved, like I know you're a big advocate of that, yeah. <laughs> of seed saving. Um, and then also water, you know, water, having water is important, um, either having you know, having several ways of purifying your water. So like we have a Berkey and then things like, uh, like the life straws or like, you mm-hmm. know, some kind of purifying straw, um, having a couple of different ways to purify is a really smart idea. So yeah, we have like, you have your main source and then you have a backup and then you have a backup to the backup. <laughs> That's like a very typical military thing to do. And then with your home, have a secondary means of maintaining safe temperatures. So like if the utilities go out, you know, there's, you can't, you know, there's no power or whatnot, like a generator or a wood burning stove, you know, especially in the winter, you know, you've got to keep your family from freezing. Yeah. Um, So definitely give consideration to that. I think that's something that maybe a lot of people don't think about. Like we're just so reliant on our utilities. And you just think that the AC or the heat will always be there, but it might not be. So, and then of course, you know, being able to defend yourself, you know, you got all this, all your stockpile and everything and your family, but you have to have a way to protect those things. So having, you know, some kind of defense system, a security system, that kind of stuff. And then building a community with your neighbors, like finding other people who think the same way as you that want to be prepared you know, that's always good. You know, you can barter for things or like barter for skills, you know, mm-hmm. so, so I'm a nurse, I'm a registered nurse, you know, so if somebody needed like medical care or something like that. And then maybe there's somebody else down the road that has some skill that you need, you know, then you can kind of trade with skills. Yeah. I, then, yeah. I love that. I love that you, you bring this up because it's interesting. I've been having this conversation a lot in different places, which I think is good, but it's, it's interesting because homesteading, part of our goal is to be self-sufficient in a lot of realms. Mm-hmm. However, you can't be a one-man island or even a one-family island because nobody can ever produce all the things and do all the things. It, it's just not possible. Even homesteaders of old didn't. And so really focusing on that community aspect is so important. Like We have some newer neighbors who moved in just a couple of years ago, actually two sets of them. But it's been wonderful because one of them has the automatic chicken plucker, which we don't have our own automatic chicken plucker, (laughs) but we have a wood splitter for firewood, you know, a a splitter. Uh And so we swapped. He's like, I need to get my firewood up. And it seems really silly for me to go buy this wood splitter for just doing a couple cord. And we need we didn't have a chicken plucker. And so, (laughs) you know, we've been able to swap things like that rather than both of us buying both of those things and having them on hand, you know, to be able to use those resources. And then our other neighbor that moved in, her husband is an electrician, which has been fabulous because we've had him, uh, you know, come and do some electrician work. And then they were newer to homestead living. So I've been able to give them, you know, tips and, you know, supplies and share stuff from the garden and, and just, you know, like walk through to be like, well, what do I, you know, up here, you know, they moved from the city where everything is like in walking distance and 
not having to have a pantry or anything like that. So kind of walking her through like, oh, you know, this. So anyways, yeah, that is so important. And I think when we start to think about emergency preparedness and survival, that is not something that's talked about very often. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you hear the word self-sufficiency thrown around a lot in the homesteading community, but it's not, yeah, you're not supposed to be an island or yeah, you can't possibly do every single thing on your own. You know, in the military, we we do have that kind of built-in community with other military families, which is nice because you're always moving. So you always have to meet new people. Um, but yeah, that that community is so important because you just never know when you might need you know, need somebody to help you out or you might need to help out somebody else. Yeah. I think when I, I sidetracked us, cause I really wanted to talk about that point for a few minutes, you were getting ready to list something. So hopefully I didn't ruin your train of thought. <laughs> no, <there>. no, no, <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. That's, that's a good, that's a really good point to me. Let's see. So yeah, we were talking about the, the bartering, you know, have, and also having like items on hand to barter, you know, like ammunition, alcohol, cash, extra food, that kind of thing. Car batteries is another um, thing, you know, to that people just might really need. And then especially if all of this is overwhelming, getting going to an outside expert and getting training like survival and emergency medical training for members of the family, that's really important, you know, to, to learn that, you know, not just, I mean, it's really great to listen and and read about this stuff, but going to an actual class, like highly, highly recommend that, especially as a nurse, you know, there's so many things that you can learn just as a lay person that could like save somebody's life. Yeah. Are um, there any, like, where would you go to find out about those classes? Uh, Do you have you any, know, like, would your local fire department ever offer anything or what, like, what would be a resource that you could go and look at? Like, I want to take these classes, but yeah. where would you start? Do you know? I mean, I think the, ba- the, the basic place to start would be um, a CPR class for sure. So like American Heart Association, that's where I do it, like through like as a medical professional to get certified, but they also offer for, for lay people to just have that CPR and AED training um, is that's crucial. And then as far as like more advanced things, there are, um, we actually did a survival training kind of like camp back when we, we lived in North Carolina before we moved, uh, lived in Germany. <laughs> so we went up to um, Virginia and there's this man named Tim McWelch and he is like a self-trained survivalist and he offers classes in the wilderness, <laughs> like of, in the woods of, of Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went, I think it was like a three or four day thing where my husband and I went and he, you know, we, it was like, can't you, you have a tent, you camp, and then you're learning all these different skills, like how to build a trap to catch animals, you know, to, to, to eat, um, how, you know, how to forage for different medicinal plants that are, you know, you can use as medicine, like all those kind of, how to start a fire without matches. <laughs> that kind of stuff. And it was really, really good. And then I went back for another one myself um, that was more focused on emergency medical, like wilderness Mm -hmm. medical training. So that kind of stuff, you know, there's that up in Virginia, or there might be local things that sometimes they're through uh, like self-defense places. So I've done like an escape and evasion class back when I lived in Texas. 
through they, like they taught Krav Maga there and they did this escape and evasion class, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, self-defense um, studios would be another place to look for, yeah. for local things. And I would even say on skill sets um, is something, and this is because we've all, I've always lived very rurally. And so mm-hmm. our emergency response is the volunteer fire department, which does have EMTs. And mm-hmm. so they can generally get, you know, anywhere from like 15 to 20 minutes, because mm-hmm. if it's during the day and most of the volunteers are working day jobs, they're, they've commuted and there's not a lot on hand. So that can kind of vary, but then, and that's just for your fire department and your EMTs. And then for an actual paramedic to get to us, you're looking at it usually a minimum of 20 minutes because they have to come from the neighboring mm-hmm. town, you know, 20 minutes to a half an hour, depending. And so we have always, you know, like you always have supplies on hand, you know, to like, if it's a, if it's a, you know, a severe wound, like to mm-hmm. be able to put the pressure on and to be able to bind that. And, you know, just kind of like what you would right. almost think of as, as basic first aid, but take it just a little bit further. Yes. yes. And even having a really well stocked first aid kit, because I think mm-hmm. that that's something, you know, making sure that you've got, like I said, like, you know, those gauze pads and, and just different things like that, that you, not just a box of band-aids, I guess that's right. right. Like, and that sounds like a really obvious thing, but again, like Mm -hmm. my, my friends, you know, who are neighbors who had had moved out here, if you're used to living in the city and then of course in an attack or an emergency preparedness type situation, those resources are probably not going to be able to reach you very soon either. Mm -hmm. Whereas that's just something that's normal for us, but just having some of that basic knowledge, like you need to put pressure on here. If you did need to put on a tourniquet, like in what situation would you do that? And where would you do it? And do you have, you know, the, the things to do that, which is kind of basic first aid and to a degree, mm-hmm. but even those types of things. And of course, like I said, uh, ideally that you have just those things stopped and already on hand. Yeah, definitely. And the little box of band-aids isn't going to get you very far. Yeah, that was definitely another one. Another one of my points was to have medical supplies on hand, you know, the tourniquet, um, there's something called quick clot. So like if there's a big wound and there's a lot of bleeding, you can put that in the wound and that'll help, you know, clot the blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gauze bandages, medical scissors, topical medications, you know, like Neosporin and that kind of thing, you know, like, yeah, think medical or think first aid kit and then expand for all types of situations. What else? Even like a, a thermometer blood pressure cuff, stethoscope, tweezers, any natural remedies. You know, we have, we have both, you know, conventional stuff and then like our, our favorite natural remedies stocked up. So like Manuka honey, colloidal silver, essential oils. Um, And then also don't forget any prescription meds that members of your family take, like having extra on hand, if you can, like sometimes doctors could write like a larger prescription or, you know, you can get like a extra months worth or something like that you know don't just have your one month supply and then you know yeah what if it you was, can't get to the store yeah actually it was funny because when you were saying the clot thing I'm like have your yarrow have your yeah. yarrow on hand <laughs> <laughs> that too that's a good one too <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, yeah no those are all really good really good things and I feel like we're going to be releasing this obviously in fall and actually September September is National Preparedness Month. Um, So I think it's always good to just kind of revisit this because Mm -hmm. it's funny. I was talking with a friend again this week and I said, you know, 
when COVID first hit, I realized where I had holes in my food supply. And I'm like, okay, I got, you know, eventually got everything stocked back up to where we were. And I'm like, okay, this is the new threshold for us, for our family. We're not dropping beneath this, you know, and that was kind of right at, you know, the peak within the first three months, et cetera. But it's now been like two years. And I told her, I said, you know, I was looking at things. I'm like, I've gotten a little lax again. Like I've (laughs) let some things run low that, you know, where I've, you know, just kind of, I don't want to say became complacent, but I just haven't been as, as focused or or tracking quite Mm -hmm. as well and making sure that we have this certain threshold of the things um, in our pantry. And so that we were just talking about that last night, actually. And so it's funny, we're having this conversation now today and I'm like, yes, it's time for me to do a little assessing and kind of get things back up. So I think it's good to have these conversations because a lot of what we're saying, I'm sure people have heard in other spots or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, these things, like I, I know these things, but I forget. And so hearing them like, this is like, yes, I need to, you know, go, go get on that now. It, it was actually our first aid kit. I'm like, Ooh, there's some things in there that I need to restock. <laughs> yes. And t- checking expiration dates on meds is so important, you know, especially if the, you know, like we don't use a ton of, you know, over the counter medications. So they're all, they're going to expire. So you got to check that and restock on a regular basis. Yeah. Oh, really? really good points. Um, but we actually have covered a lot of ground. I just, I'm yeah. like, oh, wow, like we've been talking for a while here. So is there any uh, kind of like last tips that you want to really make sure that we cover? Yeah, I, I guess kind of like a mindset tip for people is, you know, hearing about all this, like, especially the survival, like preparedness stuff, it can be really overwhelming and it can be, you know, sometimes a little scary for some people. Like, Oh no, like if you're doing all this stuff, then that means something bad is going to happen, you know, but it's better to have all these things and like be prepared, have your pantry stocked, even if you might never use it. Like that's the best case scenario, right? (laughs) Like we hope we never have to use these things. But if you do come into a situation when you have to use it, like even like something like COVID, like the lockdowns and stuff, you can't get to the store you're going to be so glad that you have all that. And in the cyber warfare article that my husband wrote at the beginning, he put a a verse from Proverbs and it says, a prudent person sees evil and hides himself, but the naive proceed and pay the penalty. And that's from Proverbs 27, 12. Mm -hmm. And so like having that kind of prudence and like looking ahead of to what could happen is like that's so important to take care of your family and and steward your family well um, in that way. So, yeah. 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 No, I agree. <laughs> so uh, we will definitely have the link to the blog post so people can go and read that. But if folks want to follow along with your guys's journey and mm-hmm. learn more from you, where, where are the best spots for them to connect? Sure. So I post a lot of Instagram. So it's Black Rifle Homestead on Instagram. And then we have the blog, blackriflehomestead.com. And then also I have um, a YouTube channel, uh, the same name, Black Rifle Homestead. So you can pretty much find me, find us anywhere, like with with the Black Rifle Homestead name. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Mallory. And again, thank you guys for your service. And yeah, really, really enjoyed this. Yeah, I, it's great to talk with you and, and you provide such a great 
service to all of us who are lear- still learning so much. Like I've learned so much from your podcast. So I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, hey there. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did and were able to get some good food for thought and some actionable tips for things that you will be adding to possibly your first aid medicine kit as well as your food storage or other implementing other things for home security. Thank you so much for joining me. And I can't wait to be back here with you next week. Blessings and mason jars for now, my friends. Mm-hmm.